Hi and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sonia Thomas. I'm Sarah Jordan. And I'm Gavin Cooper. Welcome to Series 5, Episode 4. So today we're discussing the liver with Deepak Siri. Deepak is one of our hepatologists and gastroenterologists at UCLH and also works at the Whittington. We talk about all things liver, including um, hepatitis. We touch on VOD and GVHD. We talk about what LFT tests are and what they mean in regards to our care that we give. Of course. So, so the liver is a big organ. In... It's the biggest. It is the biggest organ, yes. It's the biggest organ, thank you. <laughs> is, it, is it as big as a football, I heard, or is that untrue? I don't think it's as big as a football. I would say oh, roughly two, three-fifths sizes, give or take. Oh, yeah. So it sits in the right upper quadrant of your abdomen. It's a solid organ. Its functions are multiple. It's there to excrete things like bile, which is a breakdown product of red cells. It's there to store things such as iron. It stores glycogen as well, which is a source of energy. It produces clotting factors as well. So that's the liver in itself. Uh, and it's functionally, it's organized into lots of different small parts. They then come together to form bile ducts. The bile ducts then join up to form the common bile duct and that eventually excretes bile into the duodenum. And one of the symptoms or one of the signs of liver disease is jaundice. That's when you go yellow. Now, there are different reasons for that. So some are what we would, I would call hematology issues, things like hemolysis, such as sickle cell. You know, they hemolyze and they go a bit yellow. Then you get issues outside the liver, i.e. in the biliary tree, things like stones developing there, things like strictures, which can be benign or malignant as well. So you can imagine that's post-hepatic jaundice. And obviously as a hepatologist, my main issue is what goes on within the liver. So that's going to be things like hemochromatosis, viral hepatitis, drug-induced liver injury, uh, fatty liver, those kind of things can cause problems within the liver itself. Could you talk us through LFT test and what we're looking at and what that means? Yeah. So when, when, when you request a, a, a LFT profile, liver function test, it measures bilirubin, ALT, alkaline phosphatase, albumin, gamma GT. You can also request the AST and we often request that and I'll, I'll go into the nuance of why we do that. The bilirubin is, is just probably the first thing you look at, isn't it? If it's normal, you can, you can relax perhaps a little bit. If it starts to go up, then if it goes up about three times the upper limb normal, so around 55, 60, that's when we can detect clinical jaundice in the eyes. Is that what causes jaundice, the rise in bilirubin? The rise in bilirubin is the cause of jaundice, yes. Then you look at the ALP and ALT. And if the ALP is predominantly raised, the alkaline phosphatase, then that means it's a cholestatic liver problem. If the ALT is raised, then it's hepatitic. And we'll, we'll go into the causes of each, all right? So alkaline phosphatase is raised, that's cholestatic. And you also look at the gamma GT. So they both should go up. If the alkaline phosphatase is raised on its own, but the gamma GT isn't, then we have to have a think. It may not be the liver. The alkaline phosphatase can be raised, for example, from the bone. Paget's disease, bony metastases, things like that. So that's why we do both at the same time. So look at both. One's up, make sure the gamma GT is up as well. As far as the ALT is concerned, that's a hepatitic. That doesn't necessarily mean viral hepatitis. That just means irritation, inflammation of the liver. That means 
hepatocyte necrosis, hepatocyte cell death. When that happens, that's when the ALT goes up. And can that be because of, for example, drugs that we're given? And Correct, very much so. So, again, my other interest is viral hepatitis, hepatitis B, hepatitis C. Those are chronic liver diseases, you know, and the ALT will be up you know, 50, 100, 200. You know, it won't be up that much usually unless it's acute. But you're absolutely right. There are lots of other reasons why you might have a raised ALT, including drug-induced. And that's probably one of the commonest causes, actually. Um, lots of drugs can cause idiosyncratic liver injury and therefore a hepatitis. But that doesn't mean hepatitis as in viral infection. That just means irritation of the liver. And there are many different, many different types of hepatitis, but how do you start to treat that? Do you have to know exactly what type of hepatitis it is to know what treatment you'd use, or do you yeah. treat them all in a similar no, way? No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. So um, first of all, some hepatitis infections are self-limiting. Hepatitis A, which we, is common waterborne, faecal oral transmission, dodgy shellfish perhaps, all right, those kind of things. That can cause you to go jaundice, you've perhaps been travelling somewhere exotic, decide to sample some local cuisine, and you can get acute hepatitis A. And the other one that's very similar to that is called hepatitis E. So those are acute hepatitis, hepatitides, you become jaundice, yellow, unwell, and it usually passes and that, that can be reversed, can it? In, in the natural in, history, it just passes. Right. You know, it just goes. You have to just So is, would see you say you give supportive measures for that? Yeah, very little. They're not usually admitted. Occasionally you can get liver failure. So when I mean liver failure, I mean things like the development of uh, hepatic encephalopathy. That means you get a bit confused. Um, it means that the blood tests become really... Um, abnormal, the coagulation goes off. So that's a sign that the liver's really not working very well. So, so th those are the sort of the faecal oral transmitted, acute hep A and acute hep E. Then you come to the chronic hepatitis ones, and that's what we really see in clinic. And there's hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Now, before we go into the chronic, hep B can also be acute. So if you acquire it as an adult, which is usually either sexually, or it's through intravenous drug use, etc then as an adult you become unwell, you become jaundiced, and again you largely clear it. I mean over 95% will clear the virus. Again they'll be unwell, it'll be a stormy few weeks, but actually they will clear the virus. Again a small number, perhaps less than 1% develop liver failure and need liver transplant and things like that. However, the majority of people I see in clinic, or the vast, vast majority I see in clinic, are going to have chronic hepatitis B, chronic hepatitis C. So they pick this up for some time. And because of that, they have liver damage at a low level. But over many years, low level liver damage can then cause fibrosis or even cirrhosis. So to, we have to diagnose which one it is. It depends on the history, it depends on the presentation, but the key thing is the virology. So the first thing we usually do is some antibodies, the hepatitis C, and also the presence of hepatitis B surface antigen. That tells you that hepatitis B is present. And more clever than that, the virologist can now give us an actual measurement of the level of virus. How high is the hepatitis B level? How high is the hepatitis C level? It gets even a bit more complicated than that. Then we look at genotypes, and that then determines treatment. Um, but as far as the chronic hepatitis B and chronic hepatitis C is concerned, both are very, very treatable these days. Uh, the treatment of hepatitis C is very easy. It's a course 
eight weeks, 12 weeks of tablets. Um, and, and the success rates are fantastic. They're over 95% now. What sort of um, tablets are they? Are they they're okay. directly acting antivirals. It's a combination, right. usually two or three, often as a fixed dose combination. The patient takes one tablet a day. Believe it or not, very few side effects, uh, very few interactions now. Uh, much better than the old treatments we used to give interferon. Patients found that really, really mm. difficult. Lots of side effects, but interferon's been and gone. That we, we don't use that at all. Um, so you give them the tablets, they come back three months later, the virus is usually gone. If so if there's That's the C, to... by the way. Yeah, B's yeah. a different kettle of fish. B, we do have very powerful antiviral agents, um, but with those ones, you have to keep taking the tablets. So it suppresses the virus, but it doesn't clear the virus. If, if there's injury to the liver and that's where things are metabolised, is it then difficult to give drugs you need to make it better because it's, the liver's not working the way that it should? Yeah, good question. Rarely. So when you have liver damage, um, the question is whether you have cirrhosis or not, right? So if you don't have cirrhosis, then usually the liver copes very well. If you have cirrhosis, then the question is whether it's compensated or decompensated. And if it's decompensated, then you're right. Giving the drugs is, is an issue, can be an issue. The alternative to that is then liver transplant. Okay. So, yeah. you know, it, it, you are literally between the devil and the deep blue sea. And the way we say, look at the liver health, even if they're cirrhotic, so, for example, if, if, if your liver tests are reasonably normal, and they can be reasonably normal in, in cirrhosis, then you're deemed to be compensated. That means, yes, the liver's damaged, but actually it's doing what it needs to do. When you develop things like jaundice, low albumin, coagulation disorders, ascites, and cephalopathy, then you are deemed to have decompensated. And then the prognosis is, is much worse. And that'd be like end-stage? That's end-stage liver disease. Treat what's treatable, okay? Stop drinking excess alcohol. Stop drinking alcohol, probably full stop, actually. Um, if you've got acute viral hepatitis, or you've got a viral hepatitis, you would treat that with antivirals. And some people do get better, actually. But then the alternative is that you go on to um, have a liver transplant. So when you talk about liver transplant, if someone gives part of their liver to a relative... Yes. How will they compensate when you give part of your liver away? Yeah, I think, well, I'm not an expert on liver transplantation. No, but just but, in, in a general... But yes, you're talking about live-related donors. Yeah. You are talking about live-related donors. And yeah, it's been around for a few years now. I think it's reasonably well established. The liver grows back really quickly. So yeah, <laughs> you, you, can, you, can, you, you, you can give it. Yeah, it grows by itself. There are ethical issues, I think, though, aren't there? And I, th I think there's a lot of consent needs to go into both the donor, well, mainly the donor and the recipient, obviously, but the donor needs to know what the consequences are. And, so and there's no way you can take a part of the liver that is dying from a patient and then it will regrow itself. No, you can't do that. It's not, not available yet, but you know, you can grow hepatocytes. There, there are cell lines that you grow. Maybe, it's, yeah, it's, it's, blue, it's blue skies thinking. So we see acute GVHD yes. affecting the liver. We see VOD rarely, yes. actually. Yes. Um, could you talk a little bit about those two? Do you see them in clinic, or is that more of an acute that would be that's dealt with more on an the acute ward? that's dealt on the ward. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. hematologists usually deal with that. I think you guys deal with that pretty well, actually. So as you know, they're related to hematological bone marrow transplantation and or chemotherapy. Um, 
patients become unwell, they may develop pain, they may develop jaundice, they may develop ascites, a feature of decompensation. Um, you will need to do some imaging, I'm sure, an ultrasound at the very least, probably a CT scan of the liver, looking at the vasculature as well. The treatment is obviously to try and stop anything that may be causing it, any chemotherapy drug that may have precipitated it. That That's the obvious thing. And then after that, it's largely supportive, isn't it? Anticoagulation. Yeah, anticoagulation, yeah. supporting good nutrition, fluid balance, etc., like that, and looking after your patients very well, which I'm sure you do because, yeah, really. because they are un unwell patients by definition. Before we come and do a podcast, we always ask the nurses and doctors, is there anything they want to know a bit more about? And I think issues with the liver being injured and bleeding issues is more of what they ask about. Yeah, so I suppose looking at it the other way, I would say, you know, as a gastroenterologist and hepatologist, we see people with decompensated liver disease. And when you get decompensation, you can get a coagulopathy, as I alluded to. Um, and the other thing, you get a low platelet count. If you've got cirrhosis with portal hypertension, that can present, for example, as a variceal bleed. And as I'm sure you know, when you have variceal bleed, we have great need for blood and blood products, clotting products, platelets perhaps as well. So when you have advanced liver disease, you can see, or as I said, you could even measure how advanced the liver disease is using some of the hematological parameters, i.e. the INR, for example. Yeah. Um, so that, that gives us an idea how well or unwell the liver is. And again, if we're on acute liver failure, it is a prognostic indicator. The INR, or the prothrombin time, is a prognostic indicator. I don't know if this is, because you're saying obviously the haematologists kind of cover the acute stuff, but if, if you did have a patient who they had, had recently had chemotherapy and now their LFTs were going off, what would be the kind of, the, the likelihood of it being drug-induced or Yeah, a, a, so you have to do a workup. Or, I, I think, yeah. Yes, exactly, you're absolutely right. So you have to do a workup, definitely. So history is important. You talked about drugs, absolutely. What's on their drug chart? And the other thing is sometimes, of course, people use, I mean, maybe not in the, in the, in the inpatient setting, but you know, they may be using herbal remedies, natural remedies. You know, these are all, dare I say, almost fashionable these days, but not all natural things are necessarily safe. And, and definitely there have been incidents where you know, natural remedies have caused liver injury as well. Especially when we've not known about them, taking them correct, alongside correct. things, yeah. yeah. So history is important, medication is important. Yes, of course, you will know what drugs you've given on the ward, so that should be fairly easy to work out. Um, but of course, just because they're having a haematological intervention on the haematology ward doesn't mean they may not have hepatitis B or hepatitis C. They, they may have though, those conditions and, and it's never been picked up, so you must do your full liver screen. So that's looking for infections, hep B, hep C, looking for... Um, iron overload, looking for autoimmune, etc., etc. So those are the kind, those are the basic blood tests, a so-called liver screen that we would do. Then comes imaging. Imaging is key here at the very basics. An ultrasound um, that will tell you a lot about the vasculature. It's quick, it's easy, it's non-invasive. You can almost do it by the bedside, actually. So an ultrasound, and then you get other other imaging as well. CT scanning, look at the vascular MRI sometimes. So we use all of these together to just try and get a picture of what's going on. Less so now, but biopsies as well can be very useful. And is that well. because you can use the other... Fibro scans for chronic, yeah. chronic, chronic, chronic liver disease. That's more for the chronic liver disease. Okay. But the biopsy in the acute situation can still be quite useful.
but we'd like to try and avoid that if possible. Yeah, it's very well, you've invasive. got the issues, haven't you, with the coagulation, the low platelet count, so you know, you don't want to do that. There's a, there's a thing called the transjugular approach. Basically, um, this is done by radiologists. You go through the jugular vein in the neck, it goes down to the liver, and you do a biopsy that way. So that's a safer way of doing it. Certainly for the sickle patients, it probably is yeah, the way for the, yeah, for, 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 for the people who are really unwell, um, such as those with coagulopathies and whatever, that's definitely a better way of doing it. And probably for the sickle patients, it probably is the way to do it. Have you got any top tips for the nurses on the ward? I think we've covered most of it in the sense that, you know, look at the blood tests, uh, think about what the pattern of liver dysfunction is, is the bilirubin raised, is it the ALT, is it the ALP? And look at patterns. Don't forget, these are all one-offs. Any blood test you do is a one-off. And it's a bit like hematology, a one-off white count, a one-off hemoglobin. It really doesn't mean a huge amount. It's what the trend, what the pattern is. Um, so look at that. Look at the coagulation as well, if the patient's jaundice. I think that's important. Mm. And assess your patient, you know, your yeah. clinicians as well. Yeah. So assess your patients. You know, do they look, look knocked off? Are they a bit drowsy, especially during the day? That may be a sign of early hepatic encephalopathy if they're jaundiced. And does inflammation show kind of externally? No. No. Blood yeah. test, I'm afraid. So it was just blood tests. Blood tests. How about paracetamol? Because we use it a lot. with a lot of our patients. <laughs> they're always febrile. And <clears throat> what, what's your take on it? I mean, is it a safe drug in the... Thoughts I think you want to be a bit careful because, okay, there's a, there's a licensed dose of four grams per yes. day, isn't it? So mm -hmm. that's all right. But I think be a bit careful. Usually you're safe within that parameter, but just be a bit careful, especially if they've got nutrition issues and things like that. And is it the ALT that we would look at because yes. you said it's within the liver? And again, look what the baseline ALT is. Okay. That's really important because if someone's running on ALT of 60, 70, 80, three months ago, six months ago, five years ago, because you know, we've, yeah. we've got the results to hand off, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Then it goes from 70 to 90, I don't get too worried. But if it goes from 35 to 120, then you've got to, that's, that's a change to me. Think about VOD, being occlusive yes. disease. The veins become blocked. Correct. How, how the, the, very, the very small veins become the blocked within veins, the. Yes, they become uh, within the liver itself become blocked, and then you get your problems of the liver not working well, jaundice, discomfort, pain. And is that usually drug-related, post-transplant? Post-transplant and or chemotherapy yeah. uh, related. You work very closely with our haematology team. Correct. You have a one-stop shop, if you like, for liver and haematology together. And that started in 2017. Yes, it did. And how did that come about? So I think the liver is a little bit of a Cinderella specialty in general, and certainly for haematology. Professor John Porter has always had an interest, as you know, in red cell disorders. And patients with hemochromatosis, which is a primary iron overload condition, patients with secondary iron overloads, such as the thalassemic patient, yeah. patients, um, he was obviously concerned that these patients often have liver disease that goes unnoticed and unmanaged. And then he had this idea that perhaps we should try and work together. And, and as you know, already within the red cell clinic, there are cardiologists, endocrinologists and things like that. So it seemed a very sensible expansion from that point of view. Uh, so that was one aspect. And, and then the other aspect of the, of the clinic, which is slightly novel or interesting, is that hyperferritinemia. What is the cause of hyperferritinemia? And a lot of the patients I think that they see in, in the clinic or are referred do not have 
uh, iron overload as in hemochromatosis, but actually they have other conditions and, and that then, so, so that they like to exclude the obvious hematological things and yet after that then comes the question, um, what is the cause? And it's usually liver problems, things like alcohol, fatty liver, other generalised systemic inflammatory conditions. And then there's a group that we don't know. And so the, the clinic was really set up to for, for, for two, for those two groups of patients, I think, those with definite iron overload who, after prolonged iron overload, do get liver damage and therefore they are at risk of develop, developing cirrhosis. And one of the risks of after cirrhosis is developing liver cancer. So it's to monitor their liver function and monitor their risk of liver cancer. And again, this other group who are a more probably more benign group, um, but are an unknown and they need a very clear clear management plan uh, with regards to what the cause of their hyperferritinemia is. If it's alcohol, counselling, cessation advice, maybe weight loss if it's just simple fatty liver. So how often do you do these clinics? I do the clinic once a month. Yeah. It's on a Wednesday late afternoon, early evening, which that kind of dovetails very nicely, I think, with their other clinics. So is it two kind of doctors at the same time in the room? Yes, absolutely. And... Absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm with I'm with a haematologist, Dr. Emma Dressar, and we both sit together and it's a bit of a double act. Uh, she obviously goes through the haematology, I do the liver side. And I, I think what it also means is often the patients do not need to come for separate appointments. Yeah, that's a really good idea. So she, she does the, the heme bit first, or I do the liver bit first. And then she, she does the other bit and I do the other bit that way. So, so that's the way it works. The other thing we've also got access to, to make it even more one-stop, is a liver test called a Fibroscan. This is a shear wave elastography of the liver, sort of an ultrasound as it were. In many ways it's replaced a lot of liver biopsies we do. And you can imagine compared to a liver biopsy which is invasive, it's a non-invasive test, takes about 10 minutes and you put a probe on the side of the liver, take 10 measurements, and that gives you the answer to two questions. One, is there scarring, damage, cirrhosis? And the second question is, how much fat is there in the liver? So going back to what I said at the beginning about what the clinic is there for, it answers those two questions. And that we do with the help of our colleagues at Mortimer Market, which is a sexual health clinic, yeah. um, but they have access to this machine. And we often send the patients across beforehand, they have their scan, they come with a bit of paper of the results, and then we interpret it in the light of the rest of the, the clinic. So if it was case. a fatty liver, would it be enlarged? And that's how you tell. Often it's enlarged, not always, but often the fatty livers are enlarged. The, the significance of fatty liver usually is, 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 is twofold. One, you may develop liver damage, you may develop cirrhosis. But the other thing is often a marker of metabolic syndrome. So things like your risk of developing diabetes, blood pressure, etc later on in life. So it's usually a marker of that for most people. Yeah, so that's a really good, that's a great collaboration, isn't it, that you've done. Is that being followed through in London in other centres? We don't first, know, or? we don't know, <laughs> we don't know. We're certainly trying the same thing at the Whittington, because my, my other job is at the Whittington, I'm mainly at the Whittington, so is Emma. So is Emma, yeah. Um, and we don't have a joint clinic together yet. We do have a fibre scan up there. But, but this, this, I think, is, 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 a, is a pathfinder.